one of those that has been on spring break. Our family took a trip to Nashville, Tennessee to see some family, so I set two alarms this morning to make sure I get back in the morning routine. Five o'clock is going to come early in the morning. I want to take us on a trip to the Gospel of John this morning. Any of you that are sci-fi fans, any of you that grew up as Trekkies loving Star Trek or perhaps the whole Star Wars series, this is your gospel. It starts out with that feel of being in a galaxy far, far away. That before time, before planet Earth, there was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And through this Word, all things are created. All things on heaven and on earth. And then it's kind of like Superman barreling to the earth. There's almost like this spaceship barreling through the galaxy and crash landing into earth. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. This cosmic reality, this cosmic Word through whom all things are created becomes a human being like us, takes flesh and moves into our neighborhood. So that John says, we can see the glory of God's love, full of grace and truth. And then this cosmic truth of God's love takes on very material, real world application. No longer is it some cosmic, otherworldly experience, but now God is here among us and he shows us God's love in flesh and blood ways, ways we can see and smell and taste and touch. In fact, John is the only gospel that calls the miracles of Jesus signs. In John's gospel, they're not miracles, merely miracles. They're miraculous. But they're intended to point us to some greater truth about the nature of God and about God's love. What's interesting is that the first sign Jesus does in John's gospel is not a major preaching event. It is not an evangelistic revival. It is not a mass feeding or the healing of the sick. It is a party trick. The first sign in John's gospel that Jesus does is at a wedding in a town called Cana. Let me go ahead and warn you. This is not going to be a traditional Church of Christ wedding. There will be no a cappella singing group giving us a rousing rendition of sunrise, sunset. There will be no soloist doing an a cappella arrangement of a George Strait tune. I have sung a cappella arrangements of George Strait tunes for weddings. I was in a singing group at ACU, and one time we had to go in the recording studio and do all pop songs and country songs a cappella for a wedding. That the bride and group wanted these songs, but they also wanted to fit the standard requirements of the church in which they would be married. 
George Strait is not meant to be sung a cappella, my friends. <laughs> I cross my heart, and there's no music. Okay. <sighs> it won't be a Church of Christ wedding with a reception in the fellowship hall, with some punch in the corner and some finger foods and those little thumbprint cookies. Big fan of those. No, for all of the struggle and raw scarcity, the struggle to survive in the Middle East, one experience of excess and extravagance in the Middle Eastern culture was weddings. It was a time when Middle Eastern communities would forget and escape all of the struggle of just trying to make it day to day in the world. Weddings were a big deal They were respites from that rugged labor. And they were a subversive statement of hope in the face of the harsh realities, sometimes hopeless realities, they faced day to day. Some historians say it was customary for Middle Eastern fathers to hold back one barrel of wine every year from their crops, from the time their daughters were born, until their daughters would wed. Now, in this culture, most daughters would wed wed around age 14, 15, 16. So there would be about 15 years worth of wine stored up, one for each year. Now, any of you wine connoisseurs know that the barrel that was saved in little girls' first year of life would be much better than the one that was saved last year. It had aged. And so, there was a custom to serve that fine wine early. While people still had taste buds. And then as they got to feeling Maybe not the spirit, but the spirits. They wouldn't care that the cheaper wine was brought out later. Well, for whatever reason, Jesus and his mom are attending this wedding in Cana, and the unthinkable happens. The host family runs out of wine. We don't know why. We don't know if they just had a crazy family that just really liked to party and they just all tore it up real quick. We don't know if the father didn't prepare well and didn't store enough back. We don't know if the family was just so poor that they didn't have the kind of crops year in and year out to produce enough wine. All we know is they're out and it's a big problem because the party is not anywhere near conclusion so Jesus' mother tells him you got to fix this and this is the first sign of the glory of God's love in the world a party trick in which he turns water into wine oh and it gets worse This wasn't just tap water. This water was in jugs reserved for 
the ceremonial purity washings, the religious washings, what good Jews did to be clean according to the Jewish law. This was church water. This was like rummaging through the grape juice that's reserved for communion and saying, okay, the party can keep rolling. He takes what is set apart as sacred and uses it for something as profane as a wedding feast. To further lubricate a drunken Galilean shindig. And this sign that he does, this first announcement of the glory of God's love into the world will dog him the rest of his ministry. His religious critics will bring these kind of actions up over and over and over to discredit him. To the point that in Luke we hear that he is known as the son of man who came eating and drinking. Here he is, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they don't mean that as a compliment. The miracle This sign at Cana is an affront to the religious on many levels. And why would Jesus choose this to inaugurate his public ministry with a party trick in Galilee? Well, the truth is he doesn't choose it. Mama chooses it for him. But he obeys Mama. And yet... We need not dismiss this sign. Jump over it and just move to the ones we're more comfortable with. The feedings and the healings and the announcement of living water. No. We need to make sure we see the sign that Jesus has given us. And let's not get stuck huddled around the punch bowl refusing to see the truth of this sign which is that the wine is the sign. Isaiah proclaims to a people in exile, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. The wine is the sign. Prophet Jeremiah, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it into the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and he has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil. And over the young of the flock and the herd, their life shall become like a watered garden. Well, that rings true after the rain we got yesterday, doesn't it? 
and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Wine is a sign. The prophet Amos, on that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old in order that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall overtake the one who reaps and the treader of grapes, the one who sow the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The wine is the sign at the wedding at Cana. The steward tastes the wine and says, whoa, 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 what is going on? Usually, at these kind of parties, the best wine is served first. And then we roll out the cheap stuff. But you, you have saved the best wine for last. Gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of it. This abundance of fine wine. And for those who have eyes to see, that is the sign. The days of being stuck in exile are no more. The days of waiting and hoping and languishing and suffering in hopes that someday the kingdom will come, that God's people will be restored, that God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those days of waiting are over. The wine is the sign. The kingdom has come. God is with us. The word has taken flesh and moved into our neighborhood. The wait is over. Jesus says, I'm here for the party. And those who witness this amazing show of God's abundant love are amazed. And John tells us the disciples see this sign and they believe. Will we? We have a religious festival, feast. We keep it every week. And we consider it a sign about what God has done. Some Christians call it communion. 
Others call it the Eucharist, the Feast of Thanksgiving. Most of us know it as the Lord's Supper. Traditionally for us, it's an experience of memorial. One approach theologically to the Lord's Supper is memorialism. That it is to point us back that we remember what Christ has done. And that is true. But that is not the only function of the Lord's Supper. It's the one we remember most. It's the one most consistent to our experience. Many of you probably remember the Lord's table at the front of the church that you grew up in. Probably a wooden table with the words etched in it, do this in remembrance of me. And every week we would come to the Lord's table as though we were visiting the Vietnam War Memorial. With songs like, O Sacred Head, or He Paid a Debt He Did Not Owe, because I owed a debt I could not pay. And it's a somber remembrance of a fallen hero. That is one appropriate expression of the Lord's Supper. It is not the only one. At times, Jesus intends for us to gather at his table to party. And as much as we've made that experience one of efficiency and even scarcity, it's almost a competition. How little piece of bread can we break off and still get bread? One little cup of grape juice will do you. I remember as a kid, the church I grew up in East Texas, some women in the church made a homemade communion bread recipe. The kids loved this stuff. Of course, we were sanctioned away from that. But after church, they took all the used communion trays into the youth activity center, which was known as the Yak. If you had saw how it was painted, you would know why we called it the yuck. But you could go into the yak, and there, unattended, was all the communion bread and all the communion grape juice you could eat and drink. And every Sunday after church, the wine of Cana was revisited. The wedding feast at Cana, where hungry kids went in there And we didn't just break off a piece. We would take whole loaves of that stuff. And we would two-fist the grape juice. And the party had started. Jesus intends sometimes for that to be what happens at the Lord's Supper. That when we announce and remember The love of God as it has come into our midst. It is not an experience of scarcity. It is not just about efficiency. It is a crazy, scandalous, overabundant, extravagant party. God doesn't love us just a little bit. God doesn't just love us just enough. God's love over 
flows. Gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons. God's love overflows. And as a people, we need to experience that and to celebrate that. I know that we know how to gather to study. When we get together, school is always in session. There's going to be a class somewhere on something. We know how to study. And you are doing a fine job of sitting there and listening. You have been well trained to hear a preacher. And we know how to sing. And boy, do we know how to work. And we know how to serve. Do we know how to party? Do we know how to celebrate? How to rejoice in the abundant, extravagant, overflowing love of God. And share that with a world that is thirsty and hungry. This week I had the craziest experience. A friend of mine that was on staff with me at Richardson East, he and his wife had their 15th wedding anniversary. So he texts me while I'm in Tennessee and says, we're going to be going to Fair Park to see a show. What are some good places to eat down in Dallas? He knew I was well-versed in that, the culinary arts. So he asked me what I would recommend. So I told him about this great pizza place in Deep Ellum called Cane Rosso. They've got these, you know, uh, these ovens where they put in, you know, that Neapolitan-style pizza. Unbelievable. They have this fried dough appetizer that you can dip in marinara. Great salads. They have a couple of red wines that are called Super Tuscans. Like all the best grapes in Tuscany had a baby. The Italians have started blending their wines. So it's kind of, you know, some people think it's kind of like, you know, not fair. They're like the baseball purists, it's like wine on steroids. They've had performance enhancement. But they have these super Tuscan wines. They have a dessert pizza that's not even on the menu anymore. But it's this vanilla bean cream sauce and Nutella. So I kind of give them the whole menu of here's some things you might want to get. So when they get to the dessert pizza, I get some very demonstrative texts about how out of control, crazy good that stuff is. What a beautiful anniversary celebration. They go to this wonderful restaurant, have this great experience of extravagance and abundance. And then they let us know that as they were parking and this is in Deep Ellum, kind of right near downtown. It's an area of town that City Square does a lot of work. A homeless guy comes up to him and asks him 
for money. And so my friend gives him a little bit of money and starts talking to the guy and says, hey, have you, you know, let me refer you to City Square. Have you, have you ever heard of those guys? He says, oh, City Square. Larry James loves me. It was one of our homeless friends, Joe Wesson. Joe's a good dude. He kind of helps be a leader and mentor amongst the homeless community that we work with. And Joe says, now that you know that I'm friends with Larry, how about you give me a little bit more? (laughs) I was touched by that story in a number of ways. One, it validated the ministry of City Square. That my friend and mentor Larry James has let our buddy Joe Wesson know that he is loved. Through Larry, Joe can say, the word has become flesh and moved into my neighborhood. I think Joe has experienced God's love because he knows Larry loves me. The announcement of the wedding feast in Cana is that Joe doesn't need to go around begging for scraps and for a little bit more anymore. The kingdom of God has come and is here and there is more than enough of God's love for all of us. It's in time to It's time to invite Joe into the feast. Because the wine is the sign. The kingdom of God has come. So I don't know about you, but I'm here for the party. morning, everyone. I, uh, I'm here to provide an update on behalf of the uh, preaching minister selection team. Um, in our last update to the church in January, I mentioned to you all that we would be narrowing down our list of candidates uh, to a short list. Out of the 51 candidates on our list, we selected seven to approach um, about the position. I spoke with each of the seven candidates to see if they would meet us for uh, an initial visit. 